Our guest today is on a mission to tear down the university system. So before we get too controversial, what we're going to dig into is really how these guys are pretty interesting. It's really uh, the bigger mission behind what their company does is very interesting to me. Essentially, what they're doing is providing pre-trained sales reps, specifically SDRs at the moment, to software companies. And one of the things that is behind their mission I thought was really interesting is to provide basically alternative education and career path for the people that go through their program. Uh, The guy that I'm going to be talking to, their CEO and co-founder, uh, much like myself, I don't even think he went to college. I I went to college for a couple of years and dropped out, but that just wasn't the path for him. And it wasn't really the path for me either. And what we're going to get into today is just painful sales leadership lessons that he's learned coming up through the ranks. And what we're going to dig into is some of the things that he learned and some of the things that you could take with you, either as a sales leader or a rep, to really create a more productive sales environment on your team. Uh, my name is Jason Bay. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a B2B rep, especially one that's selling software, whether you're an SDR doing a ton of prospecting or an AE who should be doing prospecting and also selling, you're definitely in the right place. What we're going to talk to uh, Sunil Kumar, who's CEO and co-founder at Trainio about today, is one, how to make onboarding more impactful. So he's going to talk about his onboarding experience as a rep at multiple companies. One of the big things that we're going to talk about is how to cater to a rep's learning styles. And this is a really good kind of topic for you as a rep too, and how to understand your learning style. You know, do you learn by listening, watching? You're more of a kinesthetic learner by doing, right? Um, Reading is another way that people learn. Just knowing your own learning style, I think is super important. Another thing that we talk about is rigidity around activity targets and removing some of that rigidity. We talk about how sales leaders can make their teams more efficient. So looking at, you know, what are we requiring of reps? Are they doing their own list building? Do they have freedom over sequences? What's the right balance there over being able to customize everything versus being able to customize nothing? What should the activity requirements be? We talk about age bias in sales too. So this is going to be a good one. Before we get to the show, subscribe on Spotify or Apple podcast or wherever you listen to the show to make sure you get notified of future episodes. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. What we started talking about before we hit record, I thought was really interesting because I, I'm a college dropout. So I, I spent about two and a half years in school and I'm curious what your experience was, uh, you know, looking into this, if it's something that you did or not or whatever. But for me, I just, I was paying for school out of pocket and I wanted to get into sales and run a business. And none of the professors that I had at, you know, Oregon State University, none of them had experience doing that. <laughs> like they would openly talk about, Hey, I'm teaching you something. Like I remember my accounting professor, he was teaching us uh, managerial accounting through the context of a small business owner or whatever. And he's like, yeah, I've never run a small business before. He literally went to college just to teach people about it, you know? But what are your thoughts on, did you look into university? Did you go to university? Like what, what was, what are your kind of thoughts? Um, I didn't really graduate high school. uh, So no, Um, I'm I'm just saying, I have ADHD. Um, I'm, not academic in the slightest. So um, I got kicked out of sixth form, which was the thing you have to uh, go through before a university would accept you in the UK. Um, My view is that, what, 90% plus of the people who have degrees don't use them. Um, Just what you said, the professors who teach what they're teaching have never done it. It's completely irrelevant. Um, And also, why is it four years long when we know that people like to try different things, especially at an early stage in their life, your brain isn't fully formed till you're 25, right? So does it make sense to spend four years studying something that you might not even want to do when you try it for yourself? Why aren't we having things like Trainio 
right? An eight week long training course delivered by people like yourself, Jason, who are absolutely relevant to our space and have done it and can share that perspective. And then it goes a step further and actually connects you with an outcome. Yeah. It's kind of like trade school for salespeople, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Trade school. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a massive opportunity to disrupt not just SDR, not just sales, not just tech, but the whole um, way people go about seeking employment and transitioning into other roles. It's completely flawed. Yeah. I can't wait for... And this is kind of a loaded question, actually, because I already kind of know what you probably think. But what do you think about companies requiring a college or university degree for a sales position? It's it's ridiculous. So um, when so uh, stupid, yeah. (laughs) When Omar and I tried to break into tech, um, we were recruiting SaaS professionals, recruiting AEs and sales directors, not SDRs. So we didn't really have those contacts. Um, And the way we went about it because we were hearing about the SDR role, right? And we were like, well, this is really cool. We're kind of doing it now as a, as a recruitment consultant, but we would get paid a lot more. We'd also be selling something that we could find some passion in and, and enjoyment out of. Um, so we applied to the companies directly on LinkedIn Easy Apply through the website. Uh, we also applied to the recruiters in the space and either radio silence or just your standard templated rejection email. And it was all premised on the yeah. fact that Predominantly, we didn't have a degree. And also, maybe there were some hiring biases on, you know, hiring for the same kind of look and type that they already had in the office. But it was definitely more so the degree. And um, the way we got around that was by cold calling the sales directors um, of of the HR, you know, of the company where HR had rejected us or uh, a recruiter rejected us. And we would just cold call the sales directors. And I think after a week of doing that, we both landed roles and became globally top performing SDRs. So should we have been given an opportunity in the first place? Should we have had to jump through so many hoops? I don't know. What do you think? Definitely not. I mean, you're a perfect living example of that, dude. You know, I would not be able to get a job as a salesperson if it required a degree. Yeah. I just wouldn't be able to do that, you know, and it's uh, there's a lot of chatter on LinkedIn about it, but I... I don't think companies understand the financial implications of turning down highly qualified applicants that don't have a degree. That's what I don't think that they understand. I love the mission around Trainio of of really providing that education because I work with a lot of companies with SDR teams where they, you know, they bring people in and they have zero experience. You know, it's kind of nice to have some people that have some foundational understanding of how things work and you know, have gone through a little bit of training. Um, so let's take it back. So your first job as an SDR, what was that like? What kind of support did you get? All of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's great, really great question. So my first job as an SDR, I cold called um, a guy called Alistair Henderson, who's now a board advisor to Trainio and become a really good friend. And he was the enterprise sales director at Optimizely, so market lead and A-B testing provider. Um and he referred me into the job, got it. And what they were doing was moving out. One, they'd hired a new sales uh, SDR manager who had no SDR or SDR management experience, high-performing AE, um, who transitioned into that role um, from a different company. And they were moving all of the SDRs from in Europe from um, Germany, the UK, and uh, yeah, sorry, just Germany and the UK to um, Amsterdam. So the manager started, I was the first SDR in the office. In the coming months, more SDRs started to join me as they were relocated. And I was front outreach, right, as my SCP, which I now love, absolutely love outreach. But at the time, I was like, well, what's this? I know what Salesforce is because I've used that in recruitment. But what's outreach? Why do we need another piece of tech? And no one really explained that to me. All I saw it was, it's simply a burden. I was like, I've got my spreadsheet. I've got my phone. I like these data tools you have, but <laughs> why do I need a sequence? Yeah. Right? And, and, and the most annoying thing for me is as someone who's dyslexic, I really struggle with adapting to new technology and processes that are foreign to me. There's partly a stigma, I think, in my mind. Um, and, a, and that stigma yeah. is encouraged when um, you don't receive a proper onboarding. So my manager actually started a day after me, had never seen outreach in his life, never been an SDR. I was more familiar with outbound sales processes to a degree at that point in time than he probably was. So 
I, I had a really painful three months trying to figure out what outreach was and why it was useful. And after those three months, I fell in love with it. Um, but I was constantly working against red tape in the system. SDRs at that company were all measured the same. So um, despite, uh, you would have to make 600 emails a week. Um, it was uh, Holy two, moly. Yeah, two, 250 dials a week, um, which isn't that high, I don't think. But the 600 emails is stupid. Um, yeah. And, and um, there, there was some other KPIs I can't remember, to be honest. But as someone who is very verbal and, and likes to deal with people and is dyslexic as how I can't write emails, but I can do really well on the phone and learn how to write emails through, you know, being an SDR for a few years quite effectively. But at the time I could pick up the phone and I was only ringing mobile numbers because that's very easy to identify in the UK. So I had a 50% um, pickup ratio and out of the people who picked up, I would book about 40% of those into, into meetings, into next steps. So my conversion rate was crazy, crazy high because I knew the problem we solved um, and was able to articulate it in, in, in a smooth way. And all I asked was, hey, can I just spend all my time on the phones and also do video prospecting? Because I was really good at that. Um, and I don't want to send emails unless they're follow-up emails. Because I think follow-up emails are really necessary. But me doing cold outbound on email is achieving nothing. Um, and I was told no. Right. And, and because of that, I had to fake my emails in the SEP. That's what I did. But that took me three hours a week to fake all of these KPIs. And then I was still hitting my quota off just cold calling. Could have been overachieving my quota if I was left to just do it about the way that I, I was going to be successful. Um, and the other side to it is as well, um, they didn't trust the SDR. So the SDR team was run out of the US. Um, but the UK AEs were run out of the UK. And I had a great relationship with all of senior leadership in the UK. And they really bought into the strategy I was developing. I put forward a, like a 16-page business document in the first three months of all the things we could do that they were doing in the US and we weren't doing in the UK. Uh, and other things as well, like tracking people who had used that product before when they go to a new company. So there's now a company called User Gems that does that, but you could do it in Sales Navigator. And um, what actually happened was they hired a new sales development director when I was due to be promoted into a strategic role because that business case got signed off and by the VP of EMEA and everyone in EMEA. And then that same VP turned around and said, hey, we've just hired X person. Um, she is now in charge of your whole division of the SDRs globally. So I can't approve this anymore. I could, but I don't want to kind of chop her legs out from under her. She's just started. So have a meeting with her and, and, and she will approve it. And in that meeting, it's a 16 page long business case. I met with that leader um, after being you know, really passionate, sl not sleeping for three days, writing this business case, like working literally nights for three days um, while working the day job. And we sat in that meeting and she said, um, hey, so, so what's the gist of the document? And bearing in mind, there was over five senior leaders in Europe who had read this entirely and agreed with it. Um, and I was like, well, yeah. we've got 30 minutes. I can't really give you the gist of it in 30 minutes because there's like appendices, there's all these resources, all these data points. Um, but here's, here's my five minute gist of it. And um, the response was, you already do that. I was like, well, no, we don't. And, and I've articulated why and where we don't. And it was just thrown out. And in that meeting, I became frustrated because I put an insane amount of work in and been told to do it by my management team. And then it was just completely thrown out because there was a new hire made. And that really disincentivized yeah. me. So then the short story is after 10 months of being one of the top performing SDRs and certainly the fastest to ramp and all of those good things, um, I was asked to leave and I was paid to leave. Um, and an email of protest went round because of that. So um, it was a very interesting experience. Oh man, where to go from here? So the theme of this episode is painful sales leadership lessons. And I, I wanna <laughs> I wanna dig into a few of those because one thing that I often hear from reps, and I see this too, with the sales leaders I work with, is they they want their reps to be team players. Mm -hmm. And you just shared a story with me that I don't know if to that degree is super common. But that happens a lot where yeah. reps are encouraged. I put air quotes on that to be a team player and to contribute. Yet when they have something valid to, to share, it just gets met with 
nothing but resistance, not an open, and they just don't give you that same respect in return. How do you think that just in your experience, what could sales teams do to create a, a better environment where reps do feel like they can, you know, give it, you know, do it for the team, you know, kind of thing, be a team player. Like what are your, what are your thoughts on that? So I would look at how we, we are doing it at Trainio and we do some, a lot of consulting with people who hire a lot of SDRs right now. And, and that advice seems to be working. Um, what I will say is Optimizely was a, you know, a 600 person organization when I was there. Trainio is a 10 person organization. So I presume there's going to be some scale challenges to something like this. But what we try to do is really empower SDRs to sell in the way that they know best. Um, we'll ramp all our SDRs the same um, because, you know, we want to give them that multi-channeled foundations, the skills across the game. Um, but then when we start to see where their bias is, what they're better at, where they're not so good, and provided that it makes sense for the business and them, we enable that and we encourage it. Um, I think a lot more can be done to make SDRs more efficient. Like, why are you having semi-senior SDRs or experienced SDRs build their own lists when you could just have someone offshore do that for them and they could spend more time on the phones and probably spend less time worrying about burnout and all these other things because they're juggling so many plates, right? How do you improve the longevity of the role and the effectiveness of it and build that skill over time? Um, so it's actually profitable and, and, and SDRs can see a future in the SDR role rather than forcing them, themselves to become an AE or an SDR manager like I had to. And I'm not a natural SDR manager. I'm not a natural AE. Um, I don't enjoy either one of those two roles. If I was going to be in a company permanently, I would rather be a strategic SDR the whole time. Um, but there wasn't that opportunity for me. So, Let's talk about the list building thing because I see this in companies too where, I mean, even salaried well-paid AEs with two, 350K plus OTE are having to either one, get their access from their sales engagement tools removed. So they don't have access to outreach or sales loft or, you know, engage on Zoom info. They, their, their data is taken away, all of this kind of stuff. Why do companies do that? I, I don't understand. I've never been given a good answer. Why do you... <laughs> Why do you think this happens? Well, sorry, I don't understand what you mean. Um, do you mean why do you have AEs build their own lists or why do you not give them access to their data tools? Um, all of the above. Like why not just give access to these folks to get the tools and and why should they have to do it themselves? Yeah. When I literally have, like I have Filipino virtual assistants that yeah. do such an awesome job. I have three of them that work for me full time. They do really great. They require training just like any other employee. But Absolutely. when it comes to list building, I don't build my own list when I prospect. Like it's so easy to just give them criteria and just have them do it. And, you know, they're six to eight bucks an hour or whatever it is. And that's good money for them. You know yeah, what I mean? It is. I just don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. So I don't have the answer. <laughs> I think it's really stupid. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, it, it makes absolute no sense. I, you've, you've got an expensive resource um, when we work in a world where things like Upworks exist, um, things like Fiber exist, and you can just go online and you could spend five minutes writing an ad and the next day have 30 responses. And you can, instead of, you know, spending 70,000, 100K OTE, you know, total package on, on a really great SDR in, in California and have them build their lists, like you said, you can have, your guy on $6 an hour, build the perfect list for them. And, and going back to giving AEs access to tools, I completely agree. Um, you, especially large corporations, they pay on usage, usually not seats. Um, so doesn't that make a ton of sense to give them access to the point tools so they can refine their data as they go? Because um, obviously you want the list built, but you also want to empower your people to have their own tools to be able to refine it a step further if that's necessary yeah it's like you just do the math and if i can get 10 to 20 percent more output from everyone that replaces i'd rather do that for the same cost of hiring another full-time probably person. right like as an sdr 30 percent of my time was looking for data and, and i know tons of others like that it, it, it's, it's, it's crazy, crazy right yeah. i 
I think a good exercise for a sales leader would be calculate what your SDR costs per hour. Yes. Take their pay and divide it by 2000 hours over a year, which is what a typical person would work 40 hours a week, 50 weeks out of the year, two weeks for vacation. And if you just did the math on that, let's say that you have an SDR making 80,000, that person is worth 40 bucks an hour is what their time is. So you're paying $40 an hour for someone to build a list. That's insane. So that's exactly like it is absolutely insane. You're paying five to eight times more than you need to for that. And plus the opportunity cost of the pipeline that doesn't get generated because of that. Yeah, it, 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 it's a fuck up, man. It's huge. And um, what one person I really learned a lot from through a podcast um, was Chris, the, the founder and CEO of Sendozo. So his whole mantra is um, if you can pay someone else to do your job, and, and at less than what we pay you, then do it. Every employee at Sendozo has an Upworks account. And it doesn't matter if it's a list build or whatever cool. it is, right? That, 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 that's the mantra. If, if, if you can pay someone else less to do what you do, do it and then move on to the more expensive thing that y- your time requires, right? And at Trainio, yeah. we're not at a stage where we've just hit profitability, right? So we're not at a stage where we can give a blank check on Upworks to every employee. But in the future, that will be the case, right? It, it makes complete sense yeah. for us. Um, yeah, you've just got to empower your people and encourage them to use it responsibly because they will. They're not going to want to, when you give them a resource like that, they're going to want to keep it. They're going to want to utilize it um, and get an ROI from it. Because I think this is a really big key to the burnout you yes. know, piece too. It, it's yeah, the it type of work, meaning behind the work and doing meaningful work as a, because in sales, we're really more knowledge workers, yeah. right? It's it's This is not meant to be a job where we just do the same thing over and over and over again. I want to ask you, next thing, a lot of what I'm seeing in companies too, especially with SDRs, is this tightening up of the grip around the sequence and the messaging. Literally, so many companies, I can see you're already fired up about this, and so many companies are like, you know what? Uh, you can't create a sequence anymore. You have to use our sequences. Some of them won't even let people customize it. I've oh, seen it that I, extreme. No. Yeah, that, that was my first role. So those 600 emails I was talking about were not, I was not able to edit them. And they were three paragraphs long and they were written by US marketers for a UK market. And, and, and for uh-huh. Germany, right? <laughs> it's even worse. Germany's like so nuanced in terms of how they do business culturally. Um, all they would do was just translate <laughs> the sequence. It's like, that doesn't work. It doesn't even read yeah, correctly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why when Nike has a website and someone says, I live in Germany, it doesn't just use Google translate and just translate. Exactly. It's, it's, there's so much nuance, you know, you know that. Um, what are your thoughts though? Cause you've been in both kind of seats. You've been the sales leader. You've been the SDR. Like what is a sweet spot of freedom that, you know, people should be giving SDRs. So you need some hard lines, right? Um, I, I think hard lines for new employees that might go a bit wild and do something that just won't, you know, you can just see it's, that's never going to work and that's just going to cause a, a brand issue for us. I, I think at that point you can go, okay, let's 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 put that one to bed. Um, but if you trust your people, give them full creative remit. That's what we do, right? So um, trick is A-B test everything, iterate on everything, constantly be improving. If you're working by data, you're not going to make a mistake in the long run. It's like the movie Moneyball, right? You might not hit it out the park on one shot, but across the team, you're going to have an average that is much better than what you could have achieved by just looking for that that that, that one hit wonder. Um, so an example of this at Trainio is I wrote what I feel is the perfect sales sequence, right? It, it, it starts with the problem. Yeah. I, 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 like, I wrote it and we did it over voice, like we did it over cold calls, we did it and everyone was at standing It's like, oh, this is just brilliant. Sales, like as a sales nerd perspective, it's brilliant. How did it perform against our top forming SDR, Liam, who just pitch slaps what we do into the DMs? It did worse. The pitch, turns out salespeople like to be pitch slapped if it's relevant. <laughs> and, and they don't, don't want to start with the problem. They don't want the impact. They just want to know what you're fucking talking about. And and and, and that's what Liam did. And it worked. And and it's in terms of how you yeah. teach sales, it's terrible. It, it it really is. But you can't argue with the data. And if we wouldn't have allowed Liam to do that, we wouldn't know. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> 
it's such a funny story, dude. I there's something about God, like here's the visual that's frightening to me is you take a company that has, let's say three, 400 uh, BDRs, SDRs, et cetera. And then you look at the messaging that they use and that you look at who created that. And it's the collective knowledge of like two or three people that create messaging on behalf of 350 people. And the 350 people are the ones having the conversations every day. And the two people that made it are not, they're bringing almost zero context or they haven't had a conversation in months or years with these folks, or it's a marketing department doing it. Nothing. It's marketers, you know, but when you think about that, just logically, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to approach it in that way. You know what I mean? Um, I just, I, I don't get that. Like you're, you're throwing away this resource of 350 people that have these conversations. That's the, that's the part that's just baffling to me. No, it, it really is crazy, dude. And if, and you don't have to do it like we do it. Like we really trust our people. So I give them free reign and I just say, look, yeah. AB test against what we know works. And that way, I'd, if, if we bomb on something, at least half of the stuff is still going to work. But that hasn't happened so far. We've constantly just improved it based off the experiments they're running because they're really good SDRs, they're really good salespeople. Um, but if, if you don't want to do it to that degree, then just have like, okay, 80% of the stuff we're going to send out is we know what works today, but the 20% you're going to play with. And the moment we start seeing that that's working more, increase it to 30%, increase it to 40%, 50 60 You know, do it like you would run like net, how Netflix run their experiments, how Google run their experiments, right? That's yep. A-B testing to the max. Why wouldn't you do anything different in sales or with humans? Um, it's the same thing. It's just how people buy. Maybe one's on B2C, maybe one's on B2B, but it's the same thing. Yeah, it really is. It's at the end of the day, when you're doing outbound, you're trying to influence someone to take an action. And in this case, it's just reply to your email or say yes on a on a phone call or whatever it might be. The... Uh, the A-B testing thing, I, another little nugget I think that's really important from what you shared is to test things that you think will not work. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, like do the opposite. Like, take what you're doing and try something. Like, do an actual there's all different kind of flavors of baby testing. A very light version is like, I take the same email and I just change the subject line and where I change the CTA. And then there's, let me just use a completely different approach and put these side by side. And I can't tell you how many times I have to be so careful as a sales trainer, because whenever I share advice, I, I always have to give a little asterisk that I'm a big fan of what works. That's mm-hmm. sustainable. Right. So I don't like the send a blind calendar invite to people and yeah, you'll get meetings that way, but that's a really shitty long-term tactic. And I'm not talking that kind of stuff. I'm talking, put your pitch in the email. Yeah. Say, how's it going at the beginning of a cold call, even though we're kind of told not to ask someone how they're doing, you know what I mean? Try that stuff. And what you shared is a perfect example of you have to be testing and it's, it's really all about what works. I think a lot of times in sales, we tend to do what feels good and we have a lot of opinions on what works and what doesn't. And we don't oh, just yeah. like you guys are doing, let the data tell us what we should and shouldn't do. I, I think it applies to sales. I think it applies to marketing. It, it, it's, it's go to market as a whole, right? I, yep. it, it spurs me on to some, a really relevant thought. Um, I was at a company that does um, AML, so anti-money laundering, know your customer, KYC, uh, basically spot yeah. tourists, sex traffickers, all of that, right? Really good moral technology. Um, And there was a massive opportunity. I I came in, founded the SDR team, hired the first SDRs before Trainio. And there was a massive opportunity to do a lot of personal branding for that company because the founder um, had wrote in all these international magazines. He was a Georgetown adjunct professor. Um, Amazing story, really popular person. Um, and, And that his brand would extend to us if we were talking about it in the right way and creating some cool content. And um, we started to do that. One of the SDRs did particularly well, like, I mean, really well. Um, but that SDR was terrible at on the phone, terrible at outbound email, terrible at almost every other part of the role. If I'm, if I'm really honest, like not that great at, at, at the traditional SDR role, but was brilliant at creating engaging content and finding amazing leads and then starting conversations through referral. Like, 
could beat a traditional SDR, could, could beat me on the phones just by being a, a, a wizard on LinkedIn, right? And wow. they weren't allowed to do it because it wasn't in line with the brand voice. Even though the results were there, even though we were showing it was working, it got shut down. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and that comes back to, I think it's an ego thing more than anything, right? It, it's like, yeah. yes, we could do this, though it works, but I don't want to be seen doing that. And, and, and that's where it's like, well, you're just getting in the way of yourself, surely. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you have for a rep that's maybe in that position where their company's got some really tight clamps Leave. on their freedom? Leave. <laughs> yeah. Now. Yeah. Go, go. And, 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 and don't feel like you have to pitch yourself for a job in the traditional sense. I started to have real success when I just said, hey, this is what I am in an interview. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this amazing and that. And, and and this is up for debate, right? But I was really kind of like, if you're going to hire me, I need a five grand budget for this to just to start with. And and when I started being really honest with the, I, I found the best companies to work for. And that's what led to what I do today because I had really good experiences there and that inspired me. Um, but when I started to kind of sell myself in as the perfect candidate for what they needed, I, I would just find myself in a tough position because I was forced to send 600 sequenced emails a week and I didn't have the attention span to do that. Yeah. And it doesn't position you very well in terms of, you know, strategically in the interview where you're kind of wanting that job more than they want you, which is not a good place to be in where you're just like, Hey, take it or leave it. Here's, you know, this is something because we have a lot of reps in our outbound squad program, you know, switching jobs. So they've, ha- you know, first off, what you shared earlier about cold calling the sales leader, I highly recommend that works Dude, yeah. brilliantly. My wife, Sarah, got a job in, in a week, an account executive yeah. job in a week with a zero account executive experience by cold calling the directors, you know, um, yeah. that works really well. Congrats the interview Sarah. thing, I love your stance, though, like think about what your deal breakers are and be really open about that. Yes during the interview process. Hey, I want to know how you guys think about sequences. Am I going to be in a position where I have zero creative freedom? Cause that's just not, that's a deal breaker for me. And and, and going back to interviews, don't be afraid to negotiate, put yourself in as the top candidate. And, and, and in my first SDR, I was the highest paid SDR. One, I think there were ones on the same level as me, but we were the highest paid SDRs in the room. And the ones who were on the same level had two years SDR experience in different orcs, right? Um, yeah. I had no SDR experience. All I did was they said, hey, 25K. I said, what's the maximum? It was, I got 38, 22 and a tax break. And then I find out that my r- future roommate, right, it ha- has, has 15K less base than me and has more experience than me. And, and what's the difference? Yeah. He didn't negotiate, I did. Um, so yeah. th- th- there's a lot you can do in interviews. Um, and I think going back to how do you really, imp- especially in your first role, how do you really impress? Um, something that I stole from Sam Nelson that I've always taught people to do is build a TAM of your hiring managers um, and then write out a sequence in an Excel sheet. And then basically go into the interview and go, all right, I'm already an SDR. Here it is. This is how I prospected you. This is how I got the meeting. This is all the other opportunities I'm engaged with. One, it makes you a very serious candidate um, presents you in the way that you want to be presented. And two, it, it makes them think, shit, I've got to move on this person because I'm seeing their prospects in another 20 of the companies that are great companies. Um, and if he, and if that person is doing it like this, they're all going to want to hire him too. So, yeah. So in other words, actually do the job to yes. get the job. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I think people are a little shy about it sometimes. You know, but yeah, prospect, do outbound to get the job. During the interview, run it like a sales call. Mm-hmm. Close. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, close. Ask for next steps. Yeah. Objection hand. You know, like do all of those kind of things. Um, I want to hit on the activity thing because you had brought this up around 600 emails, 250 phone calls. How do you think about activity in terms of requirements, having guidelines, uh, as a tool to measure performance, productivity, that kind of thing. How do you think about activity? So it's a great question. I, mean, I don't have the 
I don't know if I have the answer to it at this point in time. Like I said, we're 10 people, so small company. Um, we don't have any activity metrics whatsoever. Um, we just have, you have to get 10 meetings a month, some are 15, depending on the region, and, and, that, and that works. We, we yeah. achieve it. Um, and we have regular time. I, I have regular time with every SDR. So does Omar, my co-founder. So does Tom Slocum, the VP of sales, every week. Um, a senior SDR, Liam, spends a lot of time with answering any SDR related questions because I want him to answer them from his perspective more so than I want to answer them because he's at the sharp end of it. Right. And, and, and that's how we get those yeah. insights, those real valuable uh, golden nuggets. Um, and, and yet we don't have any, any activity metrics. And personally as an SDR or as a salesperson, I've never have adhered to activity metrics. I either got in trouble for not hitting them or they've accepted that that's not my thing and I'm going to hit quota regardless. Um, so yeah. I don't like them. But as a company scales, I feel certain things will be necessary to understand the picture of data on a broader scale. But I would never yeah. go to the degree of what companies do today. Yeah. Well, it's just like the activity metric is a number that they just pull out of their ass. You know what I mean? It's, it's like it's like a completely like yeah. 600 emails, 250 phone calls. Well, dude, it'd be different. It, it started as 400, and then they were like, Well, we haven't got product market fit, so you're not hitting quotas, so let's fucking hit, <sighs> it, hit, hit, hit up. Yeah. And it's like, No, if we haven't got product market fit, we need to look at the messaging, not fucking just double it. <laughs> and yeah. Sense, you know? Yeah. yeah. It'd be different if you brought someone in and said, Hey, here's what we see quotas 10 meetings a month. Typically, what a rep will do to hit that number is this number of emails and this number of phone calls. That's what an average rep will do. So those are some kind of guidelines so you know what kind of activity to put in. And you know what? Your first month, let's make these the guidelines so that you're hitting quota as quickly as possible. But I'm open to you doubling down on email if that works better for you or doing more of the phone or doing the social thing or whatever. Like I said, it would be different if these companies, if that number actually came from somewhere. It's yeah. just a number that they make up that sounds good. I, I, it's again the insanity. Sales is so awesome because there is math. Mm. Like it, you can't quantify it. Yeah, these are literally numbers you can just pull out of your sales engagement platform and be like, "What does a typical rep do to hit their targets?" and use that as the metrics. I, <laughs> it's just that, like it's as simple as that. I don't, I don't understand. And 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 what that might also show you is that maybe there are some numbers that are unattainable. Yes, you know, there are a lot of startups that I interact with, and they're coming up with their sales metrics for the first time. You know, which is kind of tough. And the the thing I think that, and I'm curious your thoughts on this too, because you've done the startup thing, and you and you, I'm sure that a lot of the clients who train you are startups too. Yeah. But it's like the quota is based on the financial goals of the business. So they don't think about what a typical rep might attain. Mm -hmm. So if they need 20 meetings a month from a rep, and that's you know, that's a lot of meetings you know, yeah. a month, unless someone's doing SMB yeah, and it's like really transactional. They, yeah, they just say, yeah, you got to get uh, 20 meetings a month. They aren't even thinking about what is possible or sustainable for the individual and do I need to hire more to hit that target that we need? Or do we need to expect more? And it's just so easy to say, we just need you to double your meetings. And I just, it, again, I just, I don't understand it. It's a, it's something that I have a really hard time understanding. And I ask a lot of people about it. And the sense that I get is they're unwilling to be as honest as saying, it just kind of sounded good. That's just what we need. I don't know where that number came from outside of that. You know? Well, that that's the mark of, unfortunately, a lot of leaders, right? It, it's, it's, they don't have the answer, but they pretend they do. And and that's when you know you've probably got a, a huge problem on your hands. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah no, what I, are some I, other red flags that... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't have anything more to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what are some... Uh, what are some other... Because so far we have... We've talked about this list building thing. We've talked about freedom over messaging. We've talked about activity. What are some other red flags that if someone's, you know, an SDR, let's say, or an account executive at a company, what are some other leadership kind of red flags that people should be aware of or things that happen that are kind of commonplace maybe that someone shouldn't tolerate? So I'm not sure how common this is, 
Um, I feel I feel like it's fair to say it is, but it re- really comes from personal experience. I've faced a lot of age biases in my career. Um, so I started yeah. in my first office job when I was 18 and I was the youngest person in the office by quite a way. And honestly, within about six to 12 months, I was better at negotiating than most of the people in the office just because I'd always grown up doing that. I'd, like 15 years old, I'd negotiate the car when we would go buy a new car for my mum and my dad. Um, and uh, But I was never given the opportunity to kind of start and, and, and do the things that I was better at. I started off as a candidate resourcer. So my job was just to call up people and source them for jobs. When everyone knew I was much more suited to BD and it took six months of me doing pretty well as a candidate resourcer to be turned to a 360 consultant. And then as a 360 consultant, it became very apparent that I couldn't juggle both plates. And because no. uh, I have ADHD, so I, I have a laser focus on what I'm passionate about. And then if you give me things that I'm not so passionate about, I tend to not do them, to be frank, right? So um, what happened there was I was then made to struggle again for six months as a 360 consultant and told, hey, why don't you just go back to the candidate stuff? But fortunately, I had a good manager, Darren Brown, give him a shout out. And uh, he had a big influence on my life. And he said, kid, I know you're really good at this BD stuff. Do you want to just do that the whole time and I'll source your candidates for you? And this is like a, a guy in his late 30s, a senior sales team manager, almost a director. And he's like, I'll do this shit work for you. I, I, I was very impressed by that. It didn't work out as such because he didn't have the bandwidth, but the intention was there and the offer was there. And as soon as I started doing yeah. BD, I turned up more BD than we could kind of deal with. So um, it, 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 did that answer your question? Was that relevant? Sorry, COVID fog. Uh, no, 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 it's good. What I kind of heard there is, you know, I, I think that finding a company to work for that can help you leverage your strengths and what gives you energy is super important. Yeah. So I guess that's just a bit more of the same, isn't it? Uh, in terms of what we've already said. But I, I think one one of the things I definitely faced was age biases. Um, oh, yeah, that's up. what you brought up. Age bias. Yeah. yeah well, so what, what, what kind of... You know, there's also a lot of sexism too, I've noticed in, in yeah. especially account executives. I feel like it's companies just look at women when they hire for account executives. They look at them like through such a, a, a more harsh lens uh, in terms of their experience. Yeah. And I think part of that, I don't want to speak out of place here, but a part of some of the studies behind this around women and negotiating and women that tends to have families tend to be better negotiators because the thought is they will think about negotiating on behalf of the family instead of for themselves. And that's sort of a a generality that they found in there. But I have seen that hiring managers are way more critical of a a woman's experience typically, you know, for those types of roles. Um, But what kinds of stuff have you experienced in terms of age bias and what, what should people be aware of? So for myself, I was always the younger person in the room and uh, I had more than enough ability to be in the room. Um, and I definitely face, uh, yeah, just, just shit because I was younger than a, a lot longer than my manager. And sometimes I would have better ideas, better ways to do things. And I was kind of always a bit of a leader in the team. So whether I was a manager or not, people would go, Oh, I want to do what Sonal's doing. Cause that's working. And that would be a huge, huge problem, like a massive problem. A uh, thing we see at Trainio is we see age biases the other way. And then that's just as fucking bad, right? Um, yeah. we, we've got like a, a guy called Ben San, who is an amazing SDR now, a, a great company, but um, it took him three months to get placed after graduating the program. And he was our top performing SDR on the program. And he was uh, in his mid 40s, ex-university professor with two PhDs. And he would go and smash the interviews, right? So he went and interviewed for this one company and he said, hey, um, could you write out a qualification scenario for us? And he then went and applied medics to the whole thing and then went and applied um, gap selling to the whole thing and had two examples when they only pressed one. And the detail he went into was, I've never seen anything like it. It was brilliant. It was simply brilliant, right? And he got to the final oh. stage along with that company and many, many others and all he got pushed back on was culture fit. And, and what would happen is he would meet with an AE, he would meet with someone who is younger than him, um, and 
uh, he would have to work alongside or for, and they would go, mm, don't want this guy. Um, and, and that was really shit because one company saw past that and now he's exactly what he should be doing, right? He's, he's killing it. So, um, yeah. And do you talk a, a little bit more to the age bias thing and, and what you think that might be going through the heads of these people and, and what's not okay about it? Cause I don't think that people really, it's easy to pull out the not a good fit for the culture card. Yeah. It's, it's a very, really easy card yeah. to pull. You know what I mean? Um, what do you think that people are kind of thinking and, and what is not appropriate about, you know, sort of that, that way of looking at candidates? I think that whole concept is dated and, and breeds a huge amount of problems, right? A culture fit means, oh, hey, that can mean anything. It could mean racism. It could mean sexism. It could mean classism, mm-hmm. often classism, to yeah. be honest, right? Um, yeah. And, 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 why is any of that okay? Why, why are we masking that in culture fit? There's a new term that I'm sure you're aware of called culture ad, right? Um, I like that. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, what you don't want is an asshole in your team who's rude and abrasive. Of course not. But that, that, that is usually n- not a part of the conversation, right? We simply don't interview people like that or find people like that that often. Um, so why aren't yeah. you thinking, hey, everyone on this team has come from an Ivy, Ivy League school why don't we hire someone who grew up in a, in a not so well off area who's really driven and, and has that perspective on life? Um, because that could be really healthy for us to, to, to learn in that way. And also, you know, aside from it just being the right thing to do, your buyers probably buy from all walks of life. Um, you know, yep. maybe you're dealing with executive buyers, but I know a lot of executive buyers that have worked their way to the top and started from literally nothing. And surely having those different perspectives and those different walks of life are going to make you more appealing to your audience and give you a broader coverage. And also um, neurodiversity, right? Neurodiversity is a huge thing. As, a, as someone who has dyslexia and ADHD, I have a very limited prefrontal cortex. So I'm able to basically see things that other people can't see, put together. Um, but also I can't process things as quick. So if you want me to read something, it will take me twice as long because my brain pylons someone without ADHD and sex here, their brain pylons are like that. So it's very short, sharp communication. Mine are out here. So the advantage is I use my whole brain, but it's a bit more taxing to do a simple task. But for a big task, it means that I'll have a perspective that most people won't have. And hiring for those things are going to make you a lot more efficient as a sales org or any type of org. I mean, it's what the data supports too, that a hundred percent of the data supports a diverse sales team across gender, race, class, all that kind of stuff. So I think a big part of it, it sounds like from you is just being aware of it and being more intentional about creating diversity on your team, like being more intentional about it. And I think bias, the most important thing is to know that you have bias, just like everyone else. I mean, I'd be lying to you if I told you that the first thing I didn't look for oftentimes on a resume is when a person graduated so I could get an idea of their age. I catch myself doing that. You know what I mean? Um, so it's like, it's, it's being aware that, Hey, you have bias. Everyone does, <laughs> you know, and like being intentional about not letting that impact your decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. If you're aware of your bias, you can deal with it. You can mitigate it and you can be responsible about it. If you're unaware of it, it's going to present in the worst ways. Right. So completely. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, this has been great, man. Uh, I love we got into the list building piece and how people should be allowed to get some help with that. Um, freedom over sequences, all about that, the activity and making it more about their outcome. We talk about age bias. I got some quick uh, rapid fire questions before you take off. Is that cool? Yeah, of course. All right. So first question, this is related to outbound and we don't have to choose, but it's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, to kind of pose this question. So if you had to choose between phone, email, and social for outbound, what do you pick and why? Am I picking for train you? For, for you yeah. personally. Yeah. If you're calling right now for train you, not calling, if you're prospecting and you could only use one channel, phone, email, or social, what do you pick? Uh, for me, it really depends on the market. Um, I love the phone, but social has killed it for us. And I think social is the future. So I'd pick social right now. Um, and awesome. I'd always pick my mark. I would never work a market where I couldn't work social because I love that opportunity. So yeah, it'd be social, but I love the phone. I, I hate email. So we won't talk on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
email is just like it's the toughest channel i think it's yeah. so hard to write good, good emails um what is something you believe about sales that most would disagree with oh that's a great question i don't know um i'm trying to think what a mentor of mine would say because benjamin denner he has a lot of controversial opinions that i tend to agree with um sales is about being liked I think I think it's important to be nice and hospitable, but it, it, in my mind, relationship building can be important and is important, but it's more important to just be regiment on the problem and be more of a challenger type salesperson. I think you're going to build more credibility and that will in turn serve the relationship in the long run. But I don't know if that's controversial. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that argue back and forth on that. And yeah, yeah relationships totally important, but I mean, the bigger the deal size, the more important the other stuff is <laughs> all the logical sides, you know, of the, of the, of the deal. Um, last one, uh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Ooh. Um, I would pick the niche I want to build in sooner. So I mm. haven't sold to salespeople since the first time I sold to salespeople was starting Trainio, And we did a really good job of building our brand and building our network early on through many different initiatives, but you can't start that soon enough. We've seen, a, we've seen the craziest returns from building our network um, in terms of investors, in terms of BD, people, people to buy from, building a social brand. All of that has been the biggest thing we could have possibly done. And, and we've done it in a short space of time. I would have loved to have done that sooner, but I was never going to brand about A-B testing to DevOps. It's not in me. It's not what I'm passionate about, right? So I would have picked a company like Salesloft or Outreach, and I would have gone to one of those companies and started building in that way to start with. Yeah. Love it. Well, it's been great having you on. If you're listening, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, where can people go to connect with you and learn more about Trainio? Yeah, so if you're looking to get into SaaS as an SDR, um, you don't have to have any experience or education. Yeah, you just have to show up with the right attitude and, and, and put the work in. Um, we can train you for free. It's always free um, over eight weeks using the best in the world live. Um, apply through the website. Quite honestly, the website needs a buff. We built it for no money on Wix. <laughs> and then we need to do something about that. And we will soon. Um, LinkedIn is the best place to go see our content, follow our people, follow Jess, follow Liam, follow Omar, uh, follow Paola, myself, um, Jordan. Um, we, we, we've got a really amazing team here and um, they do a lot on social, a lot on branding. There's a lot of good content to be consumed. Um, and yeah, that's it really. If you want to hire SDRs that have been pre-trained and pre-ramped, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs>